Amen. Thank you, Lisa, for that powerful word. Thank you, Hannah, for that wonderful music and worship that uh, we so enjoy this morning. Um, in that line of prayer, uh, I was thinking uh, a lot of times uh, I probably watch the news like you do more than I normally do, far more than I normally do. Uh, we went from a month ago, like Super Tuesday, we were talking about national elections, and now all we're talking about is the coronavirus and the fallout. Uh, both health-wise and economic-wise in our nation, uh, which makes it very difficult. Uh, a lot of times when I, I go online and I say, okay, so what's the situation today? And they say, there's this many cases now in America, in the world, there's this many people who've died. And sometimes all I can think to do to pray is, God, help, just help, you know, help turn it around, help end this virus, help us to flatten the curve and get over that. So. I came across something that we sent out to the church via Instagram and Facebook earlier this week, and it was, it was seven specific prayer requests. And I want to go over those prayer requests as we pray together right before I get into this message. So um, you see the banner up there that was just put up there, Ask, Seek, and Knock. Those of you who are in our church family at Sebastopol Christian, that should be a reminder that we are wearing these prayer bracelets during our month of prayer and fasting from Ash Wednesday all the way till next Sunday, Easter Sunday, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. And on the bracelet, it says, Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Those are promises from Jesus. And so we're going to take Jesus at his word, and we're going to pray to the Father, and we're going to see God answer some prayers together. Amen. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the invitation that you uh, want us to come to you at all times. You ask us to come boldly before your throne of grace, to find help in our time of need. And Lord, as a nation, as a community, we are in desperate need. So Father, we're asking you to hear these prayers and answer them. First of all, Lord, for the sick, for those who are, have contracted the virus or, or who have been hospitalized, some of them are on life support, on ventilators. Father, we ask for healing for them. We ask that you would help turn this uh, illness around in their lives and protect those who are in a vulnerable state from getting this disease. Lord, for uh, even people in our own church family, but for our community in Sebastopol and in Sonoma County and, and nationwide. Lord, we pray for those who are now unemployed. Lord, we pray for your provision. We pray, Lord, that you would help come alongside them and help them in a timely manner. Father, we pray for the business owners, the, the, the people who have employees and, and they're like family to them and they love them and they don't want to have to lay them off, but business is such that they have to. Lord, we pray for wisdom, we pray for uh, direction from you, and we pray for hope and encouragement that these business owners can find some innovative solutions to adapt uh, to the new situation as it is economically. Father, we pray for government leaders. We pray for all of our leaders to make wise decisions, Lord. We pray that you would give them direction, that you would give them creative ideas to help manage this crisis and provide need where the need is, uh, is the most stark, Lord. Lead them in that way. Father, we pray for our health care workers, those who are on the front lines, Lord. We ask you to protect them. 
We ask you to give them all the equipment they need, all the masks and the gowns and the plastic masks and the, and the gloves. Lord, provide everything they need for their, their own protection. And Lord, give them great endurance and perseverance. Bless them as they go about their work. I know they're so selfless, so bless them, Father. Lord, we pray for the scientists. We pray for the researchers who are trying to find antiviral medicines, who are trying to come up with a vaccine. Uh, to overcome this virus. Lord, we, we ask that you would give them supernatural wisdom and direction to find those medicines and vaccines quickly and, and in a timely way. And Lord, I'm mindful of those who are sick right now, perhaps on a ventilator, perhaps uh, who may or may not recover. Lord, we pray for every single person who's sick. Lord, we pray for those especially who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We, we ask them to be seeking you. We ask them to open their hearts up to you, the living God. We, we cry out to you for their salvation. And Lord, we ask for opportunities to share the saving good news of Jesus with them. And then finally, Lord, we pray for our churches. Lord, we're doing the best we can with this social distancing. It's, it's, it's incomplete. It doesn't seem quite right, but Lord, you know the efforts that we're making, so Father, bless the efforts of the online churches reaching out in our communities, preaching the good news about Jesus, trying to encourage our church family. Lord, may our online fellowships, may they flourish, may they grow, and Lord, would you keep uh, inspiring us as leaders to provide spiritual food to help feed your family as we are separated. Lord, thank you for hearing these prayers. Thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, in faith, we, we believe that because you've heard from heaven that you are going to be putting these answers in motion. And we're, we praise you for that, and we honor you, and we lift these prayers to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as Lisa said, today is Palm Sunday. I want to go right to slide two as, as we start, because it's Holy Week on the calendar, on the Christian calendar. This is normally one of those kinds of weeks that is, is joyful or kind of on a Palm Sunday because we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the time that begins Passover week where there are thousands of Jews that were gathered there at, in Jesus' day, gathered in Jerusalem for worship to offer the Passover lamb sacrifice. Um, we know that it's important because in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all mention Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But what I want to say to you is, is this is, uh, it's kind of a two-part scene today that we're going to look at because it's a time of celebration and joy, but it's also a time of lament and weeping. Crowds are, are, are welcoming Jesus as he begins his descent west. He's on the Mount of Olives now, and he's going to be coming down the, the Mount of Olives west toward the city of Jerusalem. And it seems like a wonderful time of celebration, but it, uh, it, before Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, it ends up being a time of lament and weeping. So... Let's uh, trust that God's word is living and active as he, as he says it is, and he's going to quicken our hearts and minds as we receive his words. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll be in verses 28 through 44. We also have the scriptures up on the screen behind me. So I'm going to be beginning reading in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem. 
he was walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, and these were small villages that were only about a mile away from the city of Jerusalem, up there on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Isn't that amazing that Jesus had so much respect as a prophet and as a healer, a worker of miracles? I mean, it was in the city of Bethany, which was not very far away, where just weeks earlier, Jesus had had come out to that grave where Lazarus was for four days dead in the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come out, and a dead man came out alive and walking. And that miracle spread throughout the town, the villages, all the way to Jerusalem. It made Jesus more popular than he ever was before. And so the disciples saying to the owner, why are you taking that colt? And he says, the Lord needs it. And the owner just says, oh, hey, well, if the Lord needs it, take it. And they'll give the colt back. So verse um, 32 now, it says, so they went and found the colt just as Jesus said, sure enough, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it to him, for him to ride on. So now Jesus is up on the top of the Mount of Olives. And Lisa and I, we remember back in November going to Israel. It's, it's actually higher up on the Mount of Olives than it is in Jerusalem. You actually look down on the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Today, all you can really see in, in stark contrast is you see the golden dome of the Dome of the Rock, which is a, uh, a Muslim mosque. But in Jesus' day, you probably saw the magnificent temple in all its glory uh, looking across that Kidron Valley. And Jesus is getting ready to go down the mountain, right? Matthew says that when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on this young donkey, that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. There was a prediction hundreds of years before by the prophet Zechariah that the king of Israel, the Messiah, would be coming down into Jerusalem on a donkey. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, and yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And so that's the way Jesus chose to come into Jerusalem, humbly on a donkey. And as he rode along, the crowds cheered. Uh, this is in verse 36. They spread their garments out on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, his followers began to shout. And this is where the scene begins with just joy and celebration. I mean, it is a party uh, going on right here. When he reached the place where he started down the road of the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. It wasn't just Lazarus. It was the man born blind in Jerusalem that Jesus healed in John chapter 9. It was many, many other miracles that Jesus did. John's gospel said if, if, if we wrote down all the miracles that Jesus Said he, said, he wrote in hyperbole, he said, all the books in the world couldn't contain all the miracles that Jesus did. So Matthew 
uh, said, Matthew adds this, others cut branches from the trees. So not just their garments that they laid out on the road before Jesus, but they cut branches from the trees and they spread them out on the road. Now, this was a tradition that God's people did whenever a new king was coming into town. They cut palm branches and they waved to him saying, welcome, new king. And look what they say right here. They, they are quoting Psalm 118, and they said, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Quote, quoting Psalm 118. By the way, Psalm 118 is part of a group of psalms called the, song, the Songs of Ascent. And during the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Jews would all come from around the world and around Israel, and they would come up to Jerusalem. And that's why they're called the Psalms of Ascent, because they're rising up elevation-wise to get to the city of Jerusalem. Psalm 118 was right in the middle of that. And God's people are, are saying, blessings on the king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke adds that word king because he is King Jesus. So there's great joy, there's celebration, there's smiles all around. People are high-fiving each other. King Jesus, Messiah, he's coming into town. And the party poopers show up, of course. Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. And in this case, they are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They don't like what the crowd is shouting. They don't believe that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And so they say, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that, for saying blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I love what Jesus had to say in reply. He says, he replied, I tell you, if those people who are shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. That's, that's an amazing thing. Even creation knows that Jesus should be praised. So if human beings won't praise him, then Jesus said all creation would praise that. I, I remember a song uh, years ago came out in 2008 by Lincoln Brewster. He's a great worship leader. And uh, the song was called uh, Praise Him. And it, it, I remember the story because Lincoln was saying he was at a pastor's retreat and he, they were down in a place at Bodega Bay and Lincoln had gone out uh, near the ocean and he was looking at a meadow, beautiful meadow, and the meadow was uh, like on a cliff overlooking the ocean. And as he looked out on the ocean, he saw this gray whale come up and down and he said, man, that is awesome. And I just want to praise the Lord. And so he came up with this amazing song. Uh, All the earth, uh, lift up your praise. Praise the Lord, for he is good. Raise your hands and give him praise. Give him praise. If you ever want to look up that song, it's called Give Him Praise. Give him praise. Uh, it's awesome. So up until now, like we said, it's a joyful celebration. Even the Pharisees, the religious leaders who try to keep Jesus from letting the people shout, Hosanna, save now, which is really an interesting uh, choice of words because when, if you're asking Jesus to save now, you're asking him to, sort of, to be your savior. They didn't necessarily have that in mind that he would be the suffering servant, but they still shouted Hosanna, and it was fitting at that time for Jesus. Up until now, everything is jolly. There's a big celebration going on, and yet Jesus stops right in the middle of the parade, about halfway down the Mount of Olives. He's looking out over the Kidron Valley. He's looking toward the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, 
the capital city of the Jewish people for a thousand years. Since King David conquered it, since David's son Solomon built that first temple and now Herod had rebuilt it, this is a monumental moment for Jesus. He knows that he's going into the city of Jerusalem for the last few days of his life. He knows that. He knows that his life here on earth is coming to a close. He still has a lot to say to the religious leaders. He still has a lot of teaching and rebuking to do in the temple area during the week to come. And he knows that this week will not end without his own blood being shed. You know, there's a Catholic Franciscan church on the side of the hill there on the Mount of Olives. The Franciscan church is called Dominus Flevit. Um, it, it's a Latin term that means the Lord wept. And you can see that picture there, Dominus Flevit. It's a church. It's actually in the shape of a teardrop. And there's a, a wonderful short video that I'd like to show you to explain the meaning of that church, the Lord wept. On Sunday, the 10th day of Nisan, circa 30 AD, imagine Jesus riding a donkey foal on his way to enter Jerusalem, as in Zechariah's prophecy about the advent of the Messiah, while people from all over greet him with palm fronts as we celebrate today Palm Sunday. When Jesus reaches this point, he sees the breathtaking sights of the Temple Mount and Jerusalem at his feet. At this moment, Jesus is seized by a dreadful premonition of the complete destruction of Jerusalem and its people and weeps over it. At this point today stands the Franciscan church Dominus Flevit, which was designed by the famous Italian architect Antonio Barluzzi and was built between 1953 and 1955. The church is built in the shape of a Greek cross, but in order to give the church a unique touch, Baruzzi designed the dome of the church in the shape of a tear and also added files on the corners as the women of antiquity used to catch and store tears, symbolizing Jesus' tears as he sees the destruction of Jerusalem. Alright, I told you it was a short video and uh, it's, it's a wonderful description of a small little church there on the side just to remind us that in the midst of this great parade and celebration coming in to Jerusalem with great fanfare that the Lord Jesus stopped and paused and looked over the city of Jerusalem and he began to weep. Now, the question that I want us to answer today, it's going to occupy the rest of our time, is why did Jesus weep? says here in verse 41, but as he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He said, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Commenting on this, Ravi Zechariah says, of all the descriptions given about Jesus, there is one that unabashedly stands out to confront us. It is a description uttered by the prophet Isaiah that prods our minds and our hearts all at the same time. It comes from the prophet Isaiah in the 53rd chapter, and it says these words, describing Jesus, the suffering servant. He said, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, 
and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by men, and afflicted. It's an apt description of Jesus, especially Jesus on Good Friday, the day that he gave his life for us on the cross. And when he who knew no sin became sin for us. Whether holding glimpses of global suffering or personal pain or loss or both, Isaiah right here gives a fitting description about Jesus for us to reflect upon. Jesus was very familiar with suffering and with sorrow. And I thought about that, and I thought it was appropriate to include that in the remarks about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. The Lord wept. Why did he weep? Well, I, I always thought that Isaiah 53 only had to do with the day in which Jesus died on the cross for us, that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yes, that is true. No more did Jesus endure suffering and affliction than he did on that Good Friday. But there were other days, even like this Sunday, on Palm Sunday, in the middle of a celebration, when Jesus' heart was suddenly filled with sorrow and grief. Grief to the point where he paused and he wept. And he said those words. He, he said, how I wish today, looking over the city of Jerusalem, thinking of all those Jewish people who were gathered from all over the world, and the provinces of the Roman Empire to come in to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he said, how I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. And he goes on to say the judgment of God that would fall upon the city of Jerusalem. He said, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls. They will encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. And then he gives the reason why. He says, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Luke chapter 19, verse 44. What was it that made Jesus weep? What made him weep? I think it, one of them, uh, one of the reasons was the rejection. Just, just the idea that, that this great majority of God's people, the religious people who called themselves the sons and daughters of Abraham, the ones who knew the one true God, the ones who had received the tablets from God himself, on Mount Sinai, and they had the whole Old Testament law, this same group of people who could have read the predictions of the coming of Messiah, who could have anticipated the suffering servant that was going to become the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the people. They could have noticed that and been ready for that, but instead they weren't ready for Jesus as he came to them. And so the impending judgment by God over Jerusalem and Israel was looming over them. And it was just 40 years later that the Roman army, as the Jews revolted against the authority of Rome, that the Roman army came in in 70 AD, and in that year, and then a couple years before, 600,000 Jews lost their lives 
in that revolt. And the temple was completely destroyed. Not one stone was left on the other. There was a fire that came into the temple, and as the fire raged inside the temple, the gold that was in the inside of the temple started to melt, and it started to melt in between the stones and the rocks. And so the Roman army decides, you know, said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to move all the rocks out of the way to get to that gold. And they didn't leave one stone left upon another. Jesus' words indeed came to pass. So we go back to the question, what was it that made Jesus weep at that moment? I, I think it was the realization that here, here he is, the Son of God, humbling himself, becoming a, a, a human being, born in a lowly stable in Bethlehem, born into poverty, born raised the carpenter's son in, in a peasant life in Nazareth. To, he was sent to rescue all the people and save them from their sins. He spent his last three years, he was nonstop in ministry. He was healing the sick. He was rescuing demonized people. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He was training up this group of men that he knew would carry on his work after he returned to the Father. He fed large multitudes with a little bread and fish. He raised at least three people from the dead besides Lazarus. In just a few weeks, that, that miracle happened before. Jesus showed unconditional love and grace to thousands of people. And yet, Jesus knew that only a few days later, coming in, to a, in a, into Jerusalem triumphantly in a parade, it would just be a few days later that he would be rejected. He so wanted God's people to turn to him in saving faith. And yet most of them, instead of turning toward Jesus, they turned their backs to him. It's like, to me, it's like the parent of a rebellious teenager or the faithful husband or the faithful wife of a spouse. And they're saying to the other over and over them, what will it take for you to understand how much I love you? What will it take before you give your heart to me? That rejection grieved Jesus deeply in his heart, and he wept over Jerusalem. To the Jews in his day, Jesus told the religious leaders, you can read this in John chapter 5, he says, you do not have God's message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. He's talking to the Jewish and the Jewish leaders, and he said, you have the scriptures, you have the Torah, you have the word of God right in front of you, and he says, you search the scriptures. You examine them carefully because you think they, the Scriptures, give you eternal life. And he says, but the Scriptures point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. That grieved Jesus. That prompted him to weep. And you know what, friends? I think that today, here in 2020 in America, in, in some ways, Jesus is still weeping. And you know why? Because Jesus is still longing for everyone in the world to know him. Jesus is trying to make everyone understand what he has done for them, the awful price that he personally paid for their sins, that he longs for them to give their loyalty to him in saving faith, and yet there are so many people who still do not believe in him. They cling to their own ways of religion or philosophy 
they hold to their way of thinking where they believe somehow they can work their own path to God. They can get right with God all by themselves without coming to God through faith in Jesus. They won't humble themselves. They won't turn around and walk toward Jesus. And that makes him grieve. I can tell you what makes Jesus happy because he tells stories about happiness and rejoicing in heaven. You can read three of these stories in Luke chapter 15. It says, you don't want Jesus to weep over you. You want Jesus to welcome you. Let me say that again. You, my friend, do not want Jesus to weep over you because you refuse to bow your knee to him. You want Jesus to welcome you. Jesus told that story of a shepherd who went out. He had all these sheep in his pasture and one of them was missing and he went out and found and he searched and searched for his lost sheep and he found it and he put the sheep on his shoulders and he comes back and he tells his friends and he says, rejoice with me for my lost sheep is found. That's what makes Jesus happy. He says heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 righteous who haven't ever strayed away. Well, how do you do it? Instead of making Jesus weep, how do you make Jesus happy? You do it by turning back to God. You realize that Jesus isn't just a prophet or a great teacher or a rabbi or a good example, a wonderful example of a human being. He's so much more than that. He's the Son of God. He walked toward Jerusalem that week because he had you and me in mind. He was going to lay down his life to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And if we would turn to Him and trust in Him, He could be our Savior. We would have eternal life. We would have His Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. We would have all of that if we would just turn to Jesus in saving faith. And now He's risen from the dead. He's offering you this forgiveness and eternal life. And I, I, here's one thing I don't want you to do. Please don't make the mistake of doing this. They said, well, I know, I know my life is messed up. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus as my Savior. So I tell you what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to try to clean up my life. I'm going to try to get my life in order, and then I'll come to faith in Jesus. Jesus says you've got it all backwards. You don't clean up your life and then come to faith in Jesus. Jesus says you come to him in faith and then he helps you clean up your life. And you're going to have a power to help clean up your life that you never had before. And Jesus calls it his Holy Spirit, who's not just going to be with you. He's going to live in you to help you live a godly life. So how do you respond to God? How do you turn to him? Uh, it, whenever you get an invitation, uh, lots of times you ever get a wedding invitation or a baby shower invitation, I usually get more weddings than uh, baby showers, thank God. But the women, you know, they, they love the baby showers. And if you ever get an invitation, one thing they always want you to do is please reply. You remember what the old French word for reply is? Respondez-vous, s'il vous plaît, right? That's RSVP. That's where we get RSVP from that French phrase. And instead of saying, you know, respondez-vous, I want to say, how do you respond? How do you give God the RSVP that he's looking for? He's inviting you to come to him to have forgiveness and eternal life. How do you do it? RSVP. First of all, R. You realize your need. You realize that you can't save yourself. 
No, no matter how much religion you practice, you can never get right before a holy, just God on your own. You need a Savior. Realize your need. Secondly, say you're sorry. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart, God is raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You have to say it. You have to vocalize it. There's no closet secret Christians. Jesus wants you to go public. Say you're sorry for your sins. And then verbalize your faith. Say, Jesus, I am coming to you now. I believe in you, and I'm trusting in you. And then finally, once you do that, you plunge your past. That's what I mean when I say that you publicly declare your faith in Jesus by being baptized. You say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So that's how you respond to God. If you're ready to do that, I invite you to pray with me. And Hannah, our worship leader, I'm going to invite you to come up for our closing song. Will you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this story of how you were weeping over a city whose people, for the most part, would not humble themselves. They would not change their minds or way of thinking. They would not see you for who you really are. They would not embrace you as their Messiah for the most part. Many people did. And the church began in Jerusalem. And Lord, we're grateful for that because from Jerusalem, the church of Jesus has spread all over the globe. Two billion people bow their knee to Jesus now and we rejoice with that. Lord, you, you went to your own and even if your own did not receive you, you say, but to whoever would receive you, you would give them the right to become children of God. And so if you're ready to pray that prayer and ask Jesus into your life, just say these words along with me. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you gave your life on the cross for me. I trust that if I, if I commit my life to follow you, you will give me forgiveness, you'll give me new life, and you'll give me the hope of heaven that when my time is done here on earth, I'll be forever with you. Thank you for that promise, Lord. I commit myself to following you. I declare that, Jesus, you are Lord and Savior of my life, and I will follow you all the rest of my days. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the gift that you offer because of your great love and your willingness to give your life for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you prayed that prayer or not. If you did, congratulations, because Jesus says you just crossed over from spiritual death to spiritual life. So hallelujah and, and all glory and honor to Jesus. If you would like some next step materials that'll help you grow in your faith or you want us to know that you made this decision and we can talk to you about ways that you can keep growing in your faith, please just email me. It's a real simple email, jim, J-I-M, at sebchristian.com. Same as the website, jim at sebchristian.com. Let me know you made a decision. You can leave a prayer request. You can leave a comment with me. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much and God bless you. Let's sing together.